Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you, taking your calls 801 575 8255, or you can text us at 57500. Don is on the line in Sandy, and good morning, Don. What was your question? Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. My question is, uh, my pepper plants are about 12 inches tall, and the bottom leaves are all turning yellow. And I went online and tried finding out, and I, so far I've just been watering with rainwater, and I've got them in several areas, and it's affected both areas. So this is something a uh, like a horticulturist shouldn't admit, but I have Uh-oh. annuals in around my sidewalk or, you know, entrance of the house and they have done horrendously. Uh, three quarters of them are yellow. I've checked the soil and I've been wondering if the cooler weather has done some of this. Um, if the bottom leaves are turning yellow, some things to check are the amount of water in the soil and then also the fertilizer may cause something like that. Are, have you fertilized the peppers at all? Yes, with furlong, and it's, uh, I think it was 11, 30, and 20. Okay, was it a granule or liquid? It was granular. Okay, and so they've had fertilizer. Did you just follow the instructions on the package, or how was that applied? I just followed it on the package. Okay. And so as long as you follow those instructions, we can eliminate the fertilizer being the cause. The only other thing I know to do is just be patient, you know, get, go off two or three inches to the side of the plant with a gardening trowel and dig down a little bit, you know, six inches or so and see how wet the soil is. And if it's wet, don't water. But I'm, I'm hopeful as we get into the mid eighties and low nineties regularly, the, the, the plants will come out of it. Okay. Well, let's all hope so, huh? <laughs> all right, Don. Thanks okay, for Okay. Well, call thank you so morning. much for taking my call. Okay. You bet. Have a great weekend. Uh, we're getting another text question about those small baby grasshoppers. They're small now, right, Don? Uh, there, this listener wants to know if there were any organic solutions that you could recommend. There are a few organic sprays that they might try. I'd need to check the labels to be sure, but Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew might be something they could look at um, that has spinosad in it. And if the younger grasshoppers ingested, it may go after them. Mm-hmm. You know, other reduced risk sprays 
something. You know, there's a few out there, pyrethrins. So triple action would be another one that they could look at to see how effective it, it was. And you'd spray the plants that the grasshoppers are mainly feeding on. But those would be two, the triple actions, reduced risk, and Captain Jack's. I'll need to check the label on break and see how good of a label it has for grasshoppers. But um, those would be your two major ones that are on the market right now. All and right. I would veer maybe more toward the triple action. Our next listener just recently found our podcasts. And we should tell folks, if you do miss the show on a Saturday morning, you're busy, we all are, uh, you can find the show on in podcast form. Uh, all you do is go to kslnewsradio.com and you scroll down the list and you find the KSL Greenhouse. And the show is put into podcasts. Um, and you can find them in different segments, like every 15 minutes is podcast is a different segment. So you can listen to those whenever you'd like. Uh, next person says they have a pear tree that keeps the leaves during the fall and uh, they thought the tree had died. Now the leaves grew back this spring and a few of the branches mainly in the center are dead, but there are still much of the, most of the branches with new growth and fruit on them. Is the tree dying? Is there anything they can do to prolong its life? No, if it leafed out normally, it's fine. Especially ornamental pears have a tendency if we don't get a proper fall with the warmer to gradually cooler temperatures over five or six weeks. If it gets cold too quickly, they won't drop their leaves, but they Mm -hmm. will usually leaf out normally the next year. So this one does have fruit on it, so not an ornamental. Yeah, I wouldn't worry at this point if it has lots of healthy leaves. All right. Next listener says a friend gave her some seed pods from her poppies last year, which didn't get planted. Uh, could they do that now or should they wait till fall? Or I would wait for fall be? to spread the seeds. Okay. Next listener says they have a blue spruce, 40 years old. This, uh, this year, not much growth and the needles are falling off. The needles, uh, any idea what the problem might be? That's just signs that the tree is unhealthy and we need further details. Don't the needles, don't some needles fall off anyway? The needles fall from the middle of the tree and you'll get a heavy needle shed about every three years. And, but you should have a good 18 inches to two feet at least of healthy needles on the outside of the tree. And if there was very little new growth and needles are starting to shed excessively now, the tree's not healthy. And so... They might want to call their local extension office and see, you know, with further details if they could diagnose what's going on. But all that really says is the tree's in the process of dying. Our next listener says, also on pine trees, uh, they want to know what the best treatment is for pine tree scale. Something with dinotafurin in it that you would use as a soil drench. Unfortunately... Most of the products that were available to homeowners are no longer available. When I say most, there was actually just one. And so they may need to spring for some Xylam um, or Safari or something similar that has dinotafurin in it that they can apply as a drench or you can use it as a foliar spray in it. And it may be cheaper to have a company come in and do it. But dinotafurin is the best um, product for scale. Now, if we knew what kind of scale it was, if it was the white pine needle or black pine needle scale, they may be able to get away with just an over-the-counter soil drench containing merit or imidacloprid from any garden center. But if it's a hard scale 
then they would need that dinotifurin. Okay. Uh, they're also asking, what will keep Calabricoa blooming, a liquid or a granule fertilizer? Uh, it should freely bloom. If it doesn't, it's usually environmental stress from maybe too little fertilizer or maybe missing some irrigations or too much shade. Those would be some things that would keep them from blooming. But the modern uh, hybrids and volt cultivars of the Calabrocroa should just freely bloom much more so than standard petunias. Yeah, I can't believe the number of grasshopper questions that we're going to get Yes, it's today. the grasshopper apocalypse here. grasshopper apocalypse. Uh, you just mentioned um, a more organic way to rid of, get rid of them. Is there anything else you can do? Normally, nolobate is spelled N-O-L-O. It's a fungus that would infect the grasshoppers only and prevent them from breeding and feeding too much, and eventually they just die. But for whatever reason, NOLO hasn't been available since COVID, hmm. and I haven't seen it come back on the market. But the organic options for grasshopper control are limited. You know, the grasshoppers hop in sometimes from others' yards or wildlands. And then hop out. And then hop out. And so sometimes if you can monitor what plants they like to feed on more, you can specifically spray those plants only instead of the entire yard and knock out a lot of them. But now is the time to do your spraying and not in two or three weeks when they start to really grow because they're much more difficult to kill. But then what if it, they're in your vegetable garden? Then you use the least risky method possible. And if you're trying to keep the pesticides out, you may need to put down some low tunnels with some netting on it mm. or some sort of structures with really like bird netting so that you can try to keep the grasshoppers they move out. On. Yes. All right. Oh, all right. Those pests. What are we going to do? Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Phone lines are open. You can also text us at 57500. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. Next listener, Ton says they had taken a tree out and a stump poisoned last year. And two bushes that were within five feet have died, a burning bush and a yew. And they're wondering if um, they can replant those bushes now and they would survive. We need Tordon music, like. Some sort of nefarious kind of, yeah, this, I mean, I see Tordon in most local garden centers and farm stores sold right beside Roundup and the lawn weed killers. And it's not registered for residential use because this is what it does. It kills the tree. Yes, it does a fine job, but it leeches from the roots and kills any other desirable plants near where the tree was. And so I don't know what to do about it because technically the garden centers are legal to sell it 
And it's up to the homeowner, the user, the end user needs to read the label. When you're poisoning things, read the label. And it says right on front, not for residential use. And so the Tordon can stay active in the soil in cool, moist conditions like we've had for up to two years. And so I, two years, years. you know, they'll usually say, oh, 60 days or 90. But the research in situations, it can, has a residual great enough to harm other broadleaf plants for up to two years. So you're saying wait until next year. Wait until next year. Okay. Not, not a very fun answer. There. No. And it's one thing I'm, I know that there's not, you know, boatloads of people applying toward on, but when I talk to five or six people a year in my own office, which is only a percentage of everyone that applied it, it's a problem. And I really, even though I personally, even though it isn't restricted use, I would love to see the Utah Department of Agriculture make it restricted use in the state because they have that power just to eliminate things like these. this because the garden centers and farm stores should be recommending to kill a stump, something along the lines of a glyphosate product or maybe a lawn weed killer. Okay, but if you walk up to the counter with the tort on, they're not going to say, hey, don't buy it. Well, I would personally, but <laughs> okay. I know about the pesticides and things but i know an 18 year old kid saying oh here's stump killer for you 18 year old cashier nah you're out the door and you've applied it and if you have desirable plants around where that tree was there's a good chance they'll die that is really tough there have been a lot of mosquitoes this year, too, because of all the water. Uh, next listener wants to know if you have any recommendations. They've got a bunch in their house for uh, getting rid of them inside. Well, I mean, the solutions I have are pretty impractical. You know, I've seen advertised online there's these little table salt guns you can get <laughs> that are spring-loaded. It was coming. I saw Dave's eyes perk out a little bit. have one snarky comment this And then morning. there's also these other guns that are Stop. spring-loaded. Oh. That have almost like a fly swatter on the front of it. <laughs> it's like a cross between a dart gun and a fly swatter. <laughs> Dave's stop. You had me at gun, but the fly swatter guns are fun too. But short of chasing those mosquitoes around with a fly swatter, there are, I don't know of any indoor sprays that you could reasonably use to kill them that wouldn't make it so you would have to leave the house for yeah, days. That's not good. Mm-hmm. So because they would be aerosols and things, and it's just not worth doing. All right, Jared is on the line in South Jordan. Good morning, Jared. What was your question? Good morning. I have two questions for you, if I may. We planted a Bartlett pear and a Golden Delicious apple about 10 years ago. The trees have done fairly well, but the pear has never produced fruit until last year. We got probably two dozen pears on it. They never did ripen. When we finally picked them, we let them sit in a box with the pears that we purchased. And the ones we purchased ripened just fine, but ours just stayed kind of pithy and hard. So the pears need to go into the refrigerator for... Um, you can put them in there for several weeks, but they need to be refrigerated for at least a few days, I believe, Bartlett's. But refrigerating them for three or four weeks and then taking them out to let them ripen actually will get them to do what you want. And so what you will do, 
is when you see a few of them falling off the tree, if the pears will pull off without pulling the branch with it, and so only the little stem comes, you pick them and let them sit for a few days indoors at 70 degrees to kind of cure, I guess, but they need to go into a refrigerator and be refrigerated for several days to several weeks. Okay. We'll give that a try this year. And then on the Golden Delicious Apples, the tree looks great. The trunk's probably eight inches in diameter, but we have had maybe in the 10 years, we've had maybe a dozen or two dozen apples off of it. It just doesn't bloom in the spring and doesn't produce any fruit. Is that something we can fix or is it just a nice shade? So it's more of a problem of a lack of blossoms and not getting blossoms and then a lack of fruit. Right. So at that point, are you pruning it heavily every year? We have not pruned it very heavily in the okay. past. This year I did prune it quite a bit. All right. So look up some pruning videos on pears and apples and see if that helps. Maybe register for some at Conservation Garden Park if you're in the Salt Lake area. But if you got apples last year, give it a few more years and it may come into bearing. Your rootstock is going to have a lot to do with when they produce apples, but make sure you're pruning it correctly. So you're not accidentally cutting the fruiting wood off. Okay. Great. Thanks for your help. All right, Jared. Thanks for your call this morning. Dave says he's found some Tordon music for you. Oh, nice. Okay, Dave. <laughs> this is, this, this should is be our, our, yeah, our Tordon theme. <laughs> Maybe we could require the garden centers to have a little, like a speaker that's motion detectored. If we're going to talk about invasions, we do have one listener, one listener, uh, wondering whether we're going to have to worry about Mormon crickets this year along the Wasatch Front. Maybe. You know, they don't (laughs) usually get into really populated areas. They are in wildlands and get into communities that border Wildlands. So if you were down, say, in Levan or Beaver or some of these more isolated communities that have sagebrush country around them, that's where you're more likely to run into Mormon crickets. Have you seen the videos, though? Yes. Those things get on the roads and they get all slippery. Ooh. I remember when I was a teenager driving to California, we were visiting northern California, but driving through Nevada, there were several rest stops that were invaded by these and they had they had eaten the grass almost down to the ground. There were lilac and ash trees that were eaten down to nothing. It was incredible. But when you drive on the road, you'd have two tracks where the tires would hit that were just slimy from these crickets that you were driving over as they were trying to cross the road. Ick. Ick. Uh, we have just a minute before we have to take a break, but uh, next person says they planted new rose bushes. They have several beautiful blossoms on there. Do they need to clip those off to stimulate the root growth? No. Okay. Just let them go. Let Clip them off after they're kind of had and looking ugly, and you just go back to the first set of leaflets with five leaflets and cut that off, and you'll be fine. Roses, you don't need to do a lot of pruning on their first year as far as so they get established. So at the end of the season, they don't need to clip those roses off for the season? Well, I would just leave the roses alone until mid-March of next year and then cut them to somewhere between shin and knee height and leave three or four main canes. 
All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, we'll be taking your calls. Phone lines are open at 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. And our top of the hour feature in the 10 o'clock hour, we're going to talk about cherries and different varieties in Utah. So stay with us for that on the KSL Greenhouse Show. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.